eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You've discovered your link to gopowercat.com's PowerCat podcast. Now, here's your host, gopowercat.com publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. When we last saw the Kansas State Wildcats, they were in the process of winning at TCU 21-14. That victory two weekends ago moved the Wildcats to 3-0 in the Big 12 and 3-1 on the season. The Wildcats are unbeaten after three games in the conference for the first time since 2014. And Saturday at Bill Snyder Family Stadium, the Cats returned to action with a home game against in-state rival Kansas. The game kicks at 11 a.m. here in the Flint Hills. Welcome to the Fitz and Keats PowerCat pregame show sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. When K-State plays, we will preview the game with the most in-depth coverage and quick hitting analysis that you can find anywhere on the internet or the radio dial. We are sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. They strive to earn lifetime business and build relationships, selling quality cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, and offering top-notch parts and service. Robbins Motor Company, title sponsor of the Fitz and Keats Powercat pregame show. Well, Kansas State will head into its second game with true freshman Will Howard at the helm for this team. And yes, Howard did win at TCU, but the victory mostly goes to that Kansas State defense that was stifling against the Horned Frogs. And it's that defense that poses a great deal of problems for Kansas heading into the game. Kansas's offense has been basically inept all season long, and now star running back Puka Williams has headed for home. Puka quit the team this week to concentrate on family matters and probably look forward to a career in the NFL. With KU being 0-4 on the season, 0-3 in Big 12, and trying to run behind an offensive line that can't block a soul, I think Puka decided to save himself for the future. That means all of the problems Kansas's offense has had in playing three different quarterbacks through the year and shuffling the lineup only is compounded now by the loss of Puka Williams, one of their few quick-strike, big-play players on this roster. 
Another true freshman for the Wildcats, running back Deuce Vaughn, continues to impress as he leads the team in rushing and receiving, the only player in the Big 12 to lead his team in both categories. Vaughn is one of only three players in the nation to eclipse 200 rushing yards and 200 receiving yards in 2020. K-State is currently plus seven in turnovers, which is tied for third in the nation, and they committed their only turnover this season last time out when they played at TCU. But also in that game, A.J. Parker had a pick six against the Horned Frogs, and it was K-State's first interception return touchdown since 2017 and the first of Parker's career, and it earned him the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week award and the Jim Thorpe Player of the Week accolade for two weeks ago. A pair of senior linebackers from Georgia, Eliza Sullivan and Justin Hughes, continue to dominate for the Wildcats. They are the program's top two tacklers. As defensive coordinator Joe Klanderman has crafted this defensive unit into a bunch of frenzied dogs. They get after the opposing offense now like a K-State defense hasn't done in a long, long time. It'll be very interesting to watch how Kansas handles all the pressure and schemes that Klanderman will likely throw at the Jayhawks offense and try to get turnovers. And of course, Kansas State's offense with Will Howard, he has some weapons around him and an offensive line that is beginning to function at a much better level. Will Kansas State handle KU in this game? Likelihood is yes. K-State enters just shy of a three-touchdown favorite. And now it is time to bring in Kansas City radio legend Kevin Keatsman. He hosts a weekly podcast called Kevin Keatsman Has Issues, and you can find all you need about that at kkhasissues.com. And now we are joined by Kevin Keatsman. Keats, how about those Chiefs? Was that fun or was that fun? Man, that was great because it was so unexpected. And, you know, we love it when one of the things that I think a lot of people love about football is that the athletes get challenged sometimes. They, You know, and the Chiefs were playing a finesse-style football. They were making a lot of mistakes. They got the 4-0. Then they got punched in the mouth by a team that wanted it more and played more physical in the Raiders. Andy Reid is not necessarily known. You know, He's a player's coach. He's not known for being a disciplined guy. But clearly they beat these guys over the head for eight days before that game and, and called into question their toughness, their manhood, their desire to win again. And they came out and played with a passion and a physical nature and a can-do attitude that basically my takeaway from the game is the Chiefs can and will do whatever they set their mind to. If they if they are focused and play as hard as everybody they play, they're going to win the Super Bowl again. But if they don't, they won't. And and this this trying to get by thinking it's going to be easy isn't going to fly. That was toughness, 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 like I've never seen an Andy Reid team play before. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, but excuse the K State listeners for right now while we talk about this these kind of odd topics. I has said since the start of this lockdown and the pandemic that things are going to come out of this that we did out of necessity that will just be adopted. And we're seeing it now maybe with baseball. Baseball's now like, well, maybe we will keep these extra inning rules. Maybe, you know, maybe we'll do some of these things. <clears throat> the NFL, I'm not going to be surprised if we suddenly have Tuesday night games on the regular or I'm wonder I'm anxious to see what those ratings were for a 4 p.m. Monday game. A weird time, but it's late enough in the day um, that I think people were able to enjoy it and build their schedule around it. I thought it was pretty cool to have a Monday afternoon game leading into Monday night football. 
Yes, it was a doubleheader on Monday's attempting idea for the NFL, I think, because it's it, because it's an easier turnaround week than the Thursday thing. So I think it's going to be tempting if they look at this, and I don't know whether an actual network would want this or whether this would be cable, ESPN, whatever. But let's say it wasn't a 4 o'clock game. Let's say it was 5. Let's say the regular Monday night football or the second half of the season of Monday night football, the game was an 8 o'clock game instead of a 7-15 game. I think that works in a lot of places, especially on the West Coast. They've got two teams in L.A. now. Um, it's maybe a bigger deal trying to get West Coast viewers than before. I think it might work. If you had a 5 o'clock game, that's 6 o'clock on the East Coast. If you stayed with almost specifically East Coast start times at 6 o'clock on Monday Eastern time, and then you had an 8 o'clock Eastern start, which would be 6 o'clock start time, or I'm sorry, 5 o'clock start time in L.A., that would probably work for a lot of people. I, I, I think they might be onto something on these Monday doubleheaders. I'd love it. I, I just want all the football I can get, and the Big 12 sucked last weekend because uh, COVID took out another game on a light schedule, and we had Kansas and West Virginia, which was uh, not the best game. But you know what? KU for <clears throat> most of that first half was competitive, and it started with the defensive side of the ball. Keats, as we get into K-State, KU, I don't think KU's defense is that bad. I just think they're abandoned on the field by their offense, and they can't get they can't get rest, and they just start getting lapped, and it just falls apart as the game progresses. But when that game started in Morgantown, that KU defense was spot on. They were. They were flying around is the way you described them. I was texting a couple of friends. I was like, whoa, what is this? I mean, they're, they're really playing aggressively and fast and hard, and I don't know that they're all that big, but they seem to be playing some physical football. They were doing a lot of great things defensively. I agree with you 100%. I, and I was a little surprised by that because I would have thought maybe the message Les Miles was sending to his team by not going to that game was, I really don't care that much. I know that sounds kind of funny, but if you know the great length that Nick Saban went to last week, apparently to coach his game, I personally think it was a fraud. I think them saying it was a false positive is an absolute fraud. I think he was positive and there was no way he was going to sit in isolation for 14 days or whatever you're supposed to do in the SEC. So they basically came out and said it was a false positive. Um, I thought they would do everything they could in Alabama to have him on the sideline. Les Miles, clearly it wasn't that important. And what I've said on my podcast this week, Fitz, is do you think if that was a basketball game and Bill Self, was playing against Bob Huggins in Morgantown, that Bill Self would have gone to the game, I'm pretty sure he would have been there. <laughs> he would have been coaching his game. And, and people ask all the time, why isn't Kansas better at football? Well, it's systemic. They're taking every precaution. We've seen K-State do a lot of this as well, with players sitting out and tracing and all ca- abundance of caution or whatever. Kansas, with Les Miles, was more than happy to say abundance of caution. Do you think Kansas would have said abundance of caution with Bill Self if they were playing West Virginia in basketball? My answer to that is 99.9% emphatically no. He would have been there. And so I thought he was maybe sending a bad signal to his team, but I thought they played hard. In the end, Kansas just has no offense. It's hard for me to see how KU is going to score more than 14 points in this game Saturday. I think they'll have a really, really great day if they score 14 or 17 and I don't think that'll be good enough against K-State. No, I think K-State's defense and special teams, no matter what the offense does, unless the offense completely collapses for K-State, um, they'll be put in good enough positions to score plenty of points or defense and special teams will score the points. And, you know, you talk about the weirdness of this year and and maybe uh, the line of insincerity 
I don't question that Puka Williams, his mother, is ill and he does want to be with her. Uh, but down the same lines that you just said, if they're 4-0, I don't think he leaves. But he, they're 0-4. The offensive line is dreadful. He's having a he was having a pretty miserable season. I mean, he by his standards, 3.8 yards a carry, getting outrushed by Velton Gardner. I mean, that wasn't looking good on his resume, and I think he decided this KU football program is going to trash my NFL hopes if I stay here because nobody will think I can run the ball anymore. And he's packed up and left, and I think that sends a pretty clear message about how Miserable it is right now within the KU football program in terms of winning and losing. I think the weight of it is awfully heavy for these players to carry around. I, I think you're right. I think I agree with everything that you just said, and I think Puka Williams has decided he's going to try to go pro. That's what this is. Why stick around and have a bad year? Risk injury is another factor here. In all these games, they're going to start playing better teams than what they've played. It doesn't make any sense for him to do and to stick around. And I'm not questioning whether he's got family issues. Everybody's got some sort of an issue. He, he returned to, the kickoff return for the touchdown at the end of the game was a highlight reel play. I mean, he was, he was done at midfield. He was tackled. He busted out. He was faster than everybody else on the field. That's what the NFL is looking for. I think Puka Williams is going to be a combine guy. I think he's going to be fast. I think you're going to look at some measurables athleticism and say, yeah, this guy measures out with all of the metrics of being a pro football player. Problem Puka Williams has had is he's never been a good teammate. He's never taken care of his own business. Uh, KU did everything they could possibly This is one of those stories where they did everything they could possibly do to keep him eligible, first of all, to get him there, because he really wasn't eligible to play anywhere else. Okay, He couldn't play at like Mississippi State in the SEC. They couldn't get him qualified. All right, But Kansas found a way to get him in the program. They did. They stood by him through trouble. And what's he do? He returns a kick and says, hey, I got something on tape from this year. I'm out of here. I think he's going to go pro. I'm not predicting he's a pro. I'm not saying he's going to be this or that, but I think in his mind, there's no reason to stay at Kansas, lose all these games, not have good stats, possibly get hurt. I want to go pro. I don't know if his teammates are smart enough to know that's what he's up to, but I, I think it's as much that as anything else. Well, we've learned that NFL running backs have a shelf life. They get beat up, they wear down, and there's always a new young set of legs coming along. I think he did a wise thing here in, in getting out and saving his legs, saving the wear and tear, and maybe investing that in the NFL in the near future instead of college football. I, I think he made a smart move. But at the end of the day, Keats, does this really affect Saturday's game much at all? Not unless they found some new way to use him to get him in space. I, I do think a lot of teams were game planning for him, saying that's probably the only guy that can really beat us. They may have spied him with different defenses. But I don't think Kansas is very creative at all in trying to get him the football and they don't have quarterbacks to deliver it to him. It's more than just lining up and running between the tackles with Puka Williams. You kind of got to use him like the Chiefs use Tyreek Hill or like we see the, the Wildcats use Deuce Vaughn. It's the same thing. Little slant patterns, short passes, get him into space, let him create a play. And the Kansas offense, this is just not a well-coached team. I, I don't. There's no other way to say this. Les Miles took the job, and Kansas fans were ecstatic, and they should be. It was a fine hire for Kansas. I mean, try it this way. See if you can go out with your world champion or your national championship ring on and go recruiting and get better players. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But Les Miles was never known as a coach. He wasn't really known as an X's and O's guy in the Big 12. He wasn't known as that at LSU. I don't know why people thought all of a sudden they were going to be a well-coached football team. They're not. What, what Les Miles was charged with doing was equalize the talent with everyone else in the Big 12. 
to this point, he hasn't done that. Now, you and I watched the defense play very well last week. Maybe they're faster. Maybe they're more physical. Maybe those players are getting better on the defensive side of the ball. I'm not willing to close the book on Les Miles. What I'm saying is a guy like Puka Williams was smart enough to know this coaching staff isn't finding ways for me to make plays, so why should I keep doing this? Yeah, they were, they're not trying to win. I mean, they would like to win, but this route of going all freshmen in the recruiting classes uh, kind of leaves your upperclassmen out to dry. I mean, they're just hanging there like you're not going to recruit players that can help us right now during my senior or junior season. I'm not sure why, if you're a talented KU upperclassman, you would stick around and be a part of that uh, because it's literally going to cost you your entire college football career being a loser when you came hoping to help things get turned around. And that doesn't look like it's going to happen at all uh, in the near future for Kansas. But maybe this works. Let Les Miles take the bullets, pay him millions and millions of dollars, Mm -hmm. go get a bunch of high school freshmen that in three years are going to be juniors and seniors. And because of COVID, bonus, now they're going to be like an extra year junior or senior um, if they want to be. And then Les steps aside and we put in a more, more active coach, a more modern coach. And... I think Brent Deerman was the guy they were looking at as we progressed down the road. He gets promoted uh, to offensive coordinator. They clear out a space for him to make him offensive coordinator. And, boy, he's brilliant for a few games. And now look at this offense. I, I don't see anything creative, magical, inspired about the KU offense. And I think that shine is coming off Brent Deerman's star pretty damn quick. I think you're right. I think one of the things that it reminds me of is the Dallas Cowboys and the way they're going in the NFL right now. We've heard some of their players say this week that this coaching staff is unprepared. These are off-the-record comments by Cowboys players. They're unprepared. They don't teach. They're not making us better. They're not creative. All those things. I think probably some Kansas players feel that way. If you look around college football and you see some of the things that teams are doing, you have to ask yourself why Kansas is so vanilla. They do have all kinds of problems at quarterback. And they have had injuries at the quarterback position. And it is impossible to win without quarterback play. Defining what your quarterback play sometimes is the challenge. But pick one of those guys, find out one thing that they do well, and play off that. I mean, that's what Kansas State's going to do with Will Howard. Yeah. We, we know what he does well. His, what's the best thing Will Howard does so far? He's not turning the ball over. Right. Okay? If you have to punt it, you punt it. Let your defense play. Run the football. Find Deuce Vaughn a couple times a game in a seam. Get a big play. The kid Howard took off at a giant running play against TCU. Uh, completely surprised the defense on that play call. And he has the ability, obviously, to go run the ball a little bit. But he's not. You, you're not going to develop a game plan where you want him to throw it 40 times and throw for 400 yards and six touchdowns. That's not what K-State is. Know what your quarterback's good at. What he's good at is not turning the ball over. And right now for Kansas State, that's a winning formula. Sometimes it isn't about everything. It's about finding one thing. And why Kansas can't find one of these quarterbacks and say, Okay, this quarterback can do this. Let's work around that and go for it. I, I don't. I just don't see any strategy to what they're doing. I completely agree. Uh, I think the freshman might be starting for Kansas this weekend. I don't know. And and honestly, Keats, I don't care because it doesn't make a difference. They're kind of like you said. They're kind of running the same stuff for the most part with whoever's in, even though these quarterbacks are a little bit different. How definitive is this statement, or how defining is this statement? I guess is what I want to say. Um, 
Kansas State enters this game with a true freshman quarterback getting his second college start. And Kansas State is much better at the quarterback position than Kansas. No question they're better at quarterback. And that's about coaching, and it's about your system, and it's about team. Um, and, and again, it's about what I just said. Find out what Will Howard's good at and do that. Don't ask him to do more than he's capable of doing. Don't throw the whole playbook at him. He's not going to be Skylar Thompson. Everybody knows that. The entire league knows that. Every K-State fan knows that. He's not going to be Skylar Thompson this year. He may be in a year or two, but he's not going to be this year. But find a way to win games. It's not always going to be pretty. K-State's going to be a throwback team this year. They're going to be low scoring. Chris Kleiman loves defense. All right? Now, he's been spending this whole week, he said in his news conference, in the quarterback's room, which is, I think, maybe a little different than what he's done before. So he's trying to get in there and help ramp his quarterback up to do more and more and more. And he's got time to do this. I mean, this, this schedule actually plays out pretty well. Yeah. They're going to have about a month of practice time with this kid before he plays in a really big game with a win under his belt, likely another win coming. By the time it's all said and done, he's going to have about four weeks of practices here where he's taken every snap before the big games really come. So coaching matters. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying, and I don't know enough about the other teams to say this, but a lot of people are saying Kansas State is the best coach team in the Big 12. I think that's absolutely possible. And this is something K-State fans are used to. It was always that way with Bill Snyder. And it is fabulous to hear it and be able to say it once again. Yeah, it, it really is remarkable. I mean, it is. Credit to Gene Taylor. He recognized that Chris Kleiman was not only a, a really good coach, but uh, the type of guy that may well come and stay put at Kansas State and just set his systems down and, and get them up and running. And I know he's planning for the long term, whether that's Will Howard at quarterback or Jake Rubley, who's coming in next fall. They are going to be much better at quarterback for a while uh, than they have been. They're just recruiting at a higher level at all positions. Uh, the offensive line for Kansas State has made incredible progress, and they get Cooper Beebe back, uh, which is enormous. They're going to be able to put him at right tackle and uh, shift over on the left tackle and and plug that in. I I think they're going to be a better offensive line this week than they've been all season. They continue to get better and better, and that's something we're not seeing from Kansas. The offensive line situations are a pretty good definition of why these teams are going in different directions. K-State starts with an absolute mess. They get pretty decent. They're okay. They're progressing. Meanwhile, KU is still a mess, and that kind of gets back to coaching, doesn't it? It does. I've always felt like you can, you know, everybody always likes to talk about a veteran offensive line. You've got this player. You've, hey, listen, it's always great to have better offensive linemen than the defensive linemen you're up against, okay? So it would be great if Kansas State had three draft choices on the offensive line. I'm not, you know, trying to dismiss what talent means. But for the most part, at most levels of football, if your offensive line knows what it's doing, if they all know their assignment. And they, and they execute it to almost like a C average. I mean, you don't have to put a perfect block on guys every time. That's not what offensive line play is. Offensive line play is, okay, I know what this call is. I have to turn my guy to the left. And just somehow, some way, i got to get him to go this way. We're creating the hole over here. It's, there are nuances of that. And knowing exactly what your assignment is, that's always coaching. And I think a lot of offensive lines can be coached up pretty quickly if you have smart kids. And by I think by all accounts, you're around them more than me, Fitz, you would know. I think it's a Pretty smart collection of young guys on that offensive line. That's as big as anything. I mean, you want to have you guys who are 300 pounds and they can be athletic and do some things. What you really want is guys who, who understand the game, grasp it quickly, and if you have to move them from you know uh, left guard to right tackle, 
a bunch of guys that can make a move and say, I still know my assignment over here. And I think they're on their way to doing that. I would agree. Uh, Christian Duffy's now at left tackle. Katori Leviston, who's had a lot of problems for K-State, uh, is moved to the backup role. You know, as you look at this offensive line now with Duffy, Josh Rivas, Noah Johnson, Ben Adler, and Cooper Beebe, that is not a bad group, and that's a group that can win you enough games to be competitive in the Big 12, and uh, which is clearly down this year. There's no doubt about it. When Oklahoma and Texas are, are fighting each other for scraps, basically, down in Dallas, you, you know the conference is the, the top is, is not real strong. We'll see how this plays out, but you're right. I like what the schedule's giving K-State. They got Oklahoma, knocked them off. First game, first big game for Spencer Rattler, knock them off. Uh, you know, come home and beat a pretty bad tech team, get the win with defense down at TCU, week off, Kansas, go to West Virginia, and then Oklahoma State. It really does stack up well for this K-State team. But that defense, Keats, what they did at TCU was so impressive because that had been a pretty good TCU offense, and they just kind of took them out of everything they wanted to do. That was what was impressive. It's not like they said, you know what, we're going to take away the quarterback run, which they did, and but that's going to open up the pass. It didn't happen that way. They sealed up the pocket, they covered well, and they just suffocated that TCU offense. I thought I was looking at 1990s, early 2000 K-State defense. That's how dominant it was at times in that game. I think Saturday against Kansas, they're going to look like a pack of crazed dogs. I really do. I think they've got a chance. Look, defensive players don't get the glory that offensive guys do. You score a touchdown, everybody celebrates, they remember your name. You know, if you, if you have a game where you make seven tackles, you know that, and the other guys on defense know that, but the fans don't usually know that. You know, nobody's looking up the defensive stats or anything. This strikes me as the kind of game where you can make some big plays. Now, I love the fact that Kansas State loves to square up, stay in their assignment, and just make the tackle. But I think there's going to be some guys out there trying to lay some hits against KU on Saturday. I think there's a chance for turnovers, which is real true glory for defensive players. I think that sacks, strip sacks, fumbles, you name it. I think they're going to be, um, I think it's going to be very exciting to watch the defense against Kansas. This is their, this is probably their best chance the rest of the way to just go have a party. If you play defense at K-State and, and you want to play like a crazed dog, this is probably your game. I agree. They're going to, they're going to run around. And boy, they got some guys that can hit. I mean, they're going to get nailed with some targeting calls that are very borderline yeah. this year. Uh, I'm just going to tell K-State fans, learn to accept it. I mean, when you see a guy like T.J. Smith, another true freshman, just running around and destroying people, that's against the rules of football now. You can't be too mean, Keats. I mean, right. that's basically right. what the rule is. Don't be mean. Uh, don't be too aggressive. Uh, I'm all for taking targeting with the crown of the helmet, trying to hit someone in the head, you know, jaw, those type of things out of the game. But just hitting someone too hard, you know, I'm not a big fan of this, uh, you know, unprotected player. You know what? If you're on the football field, you're playing football. You you could get hit. Now, blindside blocks are one thing, but if you're if you got the ball in your hands and you're catching it, I'm sorry if you're exposed. That was always part of the game. And this K-State defense can make people pay and get get a little nervous about going across the middle because they got some dudes out there, man. Uh, they they yeah. just got some guys. Khalid Duke can chase down cars. It's incredible. 
<laughs> I think what bothers me most about it is they throw the flag whenever they see a helmet hit a helmet. And they just throw it, and then they go up top and review it and say, okay, it was not targeting, but, you know, the penalty stands. There's no ejection, but the penalty stands. Not every time a tackler hits a ball carrier helmet-to-helmet is a, is a foul. It's just not. If they're defenseless and whatever, yes. Um, you know, Travis Kelsey of the Chiefs has gotten a couple of these calls through the years. He gets low after he catches the pass. He really gets low. And I think he's trying to get under guys. And when he does, you know, for the last few yards or whatever, when he does, a lot of times when he gets tackled, it's helmet to helmet. But he's creating that. He's going low. When the runner goes low, you're going to get hit in the head. And and a lot of times it's a shoulder to the helmet. Or, and it looks violent. And, it, and I agree with you. What you're saying is don't throw a flag for tackling somebody too hard. Right. You got it. These, 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 and these refs aren't great, okay, at college. They're not great. The NFL refs are better. There needs to be a mechanism to just wave the flag off entirely. Because I see an awful lot of things called where it's bad. You see a couple of helmets crashing together, but it's not a foul. Well, I mean, we saw it with Wyatt Hubert at the end of the TCU game when he was called for a personal foul, late hit on the quarterback with targeting, and they go and look at it. Not only was it not targeting, he used his arms to hit him in the chest, but it wasn't a late hit either. I mean, he right. had just released the ball. So it's clear to me that the referee called targeting – and then tacked on the late hit to make it look like a better call. That should that flag should have just been picked up. Nope, it wasn't. It was not only not targeting. It wasn't a late hit. We reviewed it. If you're going to review it, review it. Did, you know, don't parse out what you're reviewing and not. K State has gotten really good at corner. I don't remember. I can't even tell you the last time I felt so good about a pair of corners than I do K State. And neither one of them. Uh, were listed as starters early in the year. Justin Gardner, a six foot two JUCO transfer, was a backup, uh, but Echo Boydeau out of Lawrence was nowhere to be found. Um, and now he's he's six foot. Gardner's six two, but Boydeau has this long wingspan that makes him good. Now they weren't sure he was ever going to be a good player at K State, and they had to throw him on the field at Oklahoma of all places against Spencer Rattler, who is the second coming of whomever. And he does a good job, and he's been going at it ever since. He competes. He plays hard. He's long. He breaks up passes. These corners for K-State are game changers in how they can defend, and I think K-Staters are very relieved they finally have cover corners that can just shut people down. Yeah, it's a rare thing. There's, there's usually only two or three teams in the Big 12 that have that, that most defensive coordinators will try to get after a quarterback with pressure, or blitzes, or do whatever your pass defense, very rarely in the Big 12, only a couple of teams can do it, very rarely do you say, okay, our corners have this, all right? We can go one-on-one out here against somebody, and our guy, we, we trust our guy over here. And if you want to blitz and bring your safeties, he can work alone. It really changes the way you can call everything you do defensively, and it, it's completely an unexpected surprise for me. I mean, I thought there'd be nice parts of this defense, but if they're going to cover and cover some of the great receivers in this league, it really gives Kansas State something a lot of other teams don't have. And it, it completely changes the way you play defense. You cannot overstate it because – and it's something Kansas State really hasn't had a lot of through the years. They did back in the day, but it seems like the last few years they've had a lot of corners that give up a lot of big plays. Most teams in this league give up big passing plays. That's how most teams in this league move the ball is, is finding a one-on-one matchup somewhere and beating the corner and getting a 50-yard gain. And Kansas State doesn't seem all that susceptible to that right now. It's amazing. Yep, and A.J. Parker – 
moving to nickel has been a revelation. And I, I tell you what, if you told me earlier in the year or before the season, K-State's going to be so good at cornerback, they'll move A.J. Parker to nickel. I'm going, what, what are you smoking, man? What, what's going on with you? But they've done it. He's great at, at that nickel spot. All five foot 11, 178 pounds of him functions as a linebacker at times. It's It's impressive. I, I got to tip my hat to Joe Klanderman because after Arkansas State, I thought, oh, boy, this is he's going to be too conservative. He's going to sit back and let people nickel and dime you. I got visions of Tom Hayes dancing in my head. Uh, oh. I, 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 thought, I thought we'd move past that. And then in the fourth quarter at Oklahoma or third quarter, he starts ramping it up, and he's never looked back. He's He's not taking wild gambles. But he is doing enough to really confuse quarterbacks. But mostly they're getting a push out of their front four, particularly in passing situations when they go to their speed package and have four DNs across that line. Man, it's fun to watch those guys. It's just, it's it's really good defense. And I don't know how KU is going to function because they, they're in third and long a lot, second and long a lot. They put that speed package out there. They're going to be chasing down KU ball carriers, receivers, and quarterbacks all day long. Yeah. If K if K State lines up and runs the football in this game effectively, like for the entire game, which I, I think they have a chance to do, if they do that, I think this game's gonna be a beatdown. I think we're looking at maybe thirty eight to seven or something like that. I and that's a game where the clock's running all the time because you're running the football and there's not a lot of incomplete passes. But I think this is the kind of the mat it's the kind of matchup where you can demoralize your opponent. You're running on them all day. And you're stopping everything they're doing offensively. And after a while, you're just over there on the sideline going, oh, boy, this sucks. So I think it has a chance to be a game like that. And I think we one, one thing we don't talk enough about defense is confidence with defensive players. Confidence that my teammate has his assignment. Confidence that I can go make my play. Confidence that I'm tackling well. I mean, this is like a, a golfer. You know, we see guys that run the ball or, or a quarterback that gets in a groove throwing it to a receiver. And we go, oh, they'll get the confidence between them and all that. We don't ever talk about that on defense. There is confidence to tackling. There really is. When you're going well, like K-State is right now, they all believe they're going to make the play, and, and all 11 are lined up are saying, bring the ball to me. I want the ball. Now, I used to play shortstop in baseball, and if you didn't have the mentality of, I hope this guy hits a ground ball to me instead of somebody else, then you weren't thinking on every pitch. You need to think like that. I think right now, no matter who's out there on the field for K-State, they're like, Please bring the ball right at me on this play. I want this play. I see 11 guys that want the play to come to them and nobody that wants to be over on the sideline. They all want in the game. As we start to wind down this segment, one of the things I like about this coaching staff is they put out fairly realistic depth charts. And we're kind of trained as people that have covered or followed K-State for years. Don't even bother checking the depth chart because it doesn't mean anything. Well, you know what? You you open up the depth chart for this game. Deuce Vaughn is now listed ahead of Harry Trotter, which is, um, you know, maybe that happened earlier in the year, but I like that. Bill Snyder wouldn't have ever changed his depth chart, even though Deuce Vaughn was the starter. Uh, and you just kind of continue to look up and you see that they are actually putting out a depth chart throughout the week. And it, it's just, it's refreshing, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> You kind of you kind of know what's going on a little bit more with the team, and you really know where they stand with players. Now, this was a long way to get to this, but Malik Knowles, who has really struggled this season, is still listed as a starting wide receiver, even though his backup, Philip Brooks, you can argue, has been more productive for big segments of the season. There he is, though, Malik Knowles, and they're trying to massage him back into good health, 
and good mental health, because I think a lot of his problems have been between the years, and get him involved. And that's really the only shortcoming of this offense, uh, glaring shortcoming, is that the receivers haven't been involved. And I think that that is going to be an emphasis against Kansas. I hope you're right. If they get a lead, I think I think you just got to keep going. You just got to you got to work on your passing game. You've got a freshman quarterback. You've got receivers that have struggled. If they run it and run it at will and get up 21 points, uh, the tendency in football is to take it easy on your opponent. I don't think you do that here. I think you work on your passing game. You, you know, there was no non-conference to speak of. The one game they played, they didn't have any of their players out on the field. So, I, I mean, I think you got to do that if you want to progress and you want to get better. You have to use this time if you get the lead almost as is a practice time and not as, I mean, for Malik Knowles, certainly, but also for Will Howard. I mean, you've, you've got to develop your quarterback somehow. And if it becomes easy to run the ball and you've got the lead, that is when I think you open it up and start throwing the ball around. If you, you throw an interception or something bad happens, you can live with that. I, I, I hope you're absolutely right. I'd love to see that on Saturday. You brought me to my final topic. Let's say Kansas state gets away from Kansas and early in the second half, late in the first half, whatever it is, how long would Coach Keatsman stick with Will Howard to get him reps and time and be able to open it up a little bit so he can take some chances that don't cost them a whole lot in terms of the game? And at what point do you say, you know what, we better invest some time in Nick Ost as his backup or maybe Jerron Lewis as his as the third stringer? Um, because who knows? You know, uh, we found out with Skyler, next guy has to be ready. Is there a point or a spread in the game that you say, well, Howard, good job, go take a seat, Nick Oss, take over? Well, I don't know enough about Nick Oss, and I'm not at practice every day. A lot of it would depend on how close they are. If you think they're really close, then yes. If, if Will Howard is miles apart from these other guys, you're not going to get enough work for him to help the other guys, in my opinion. You're, you're rolling dice now. Look, we're, Will Howard's our guy. And this is where we go. And if something bad happens, we'll have to figure that out when we get there. But if they're close, if you're like, I just need to get some experience for this guy, get him on the field a little bit. Or if one of them has a skill set that Howard doesn't have, I've never been a big fan of two quarterbacks in a game. We saw Bill Snyder do that from time to time. It does not look like Chris Kleiman is interested in that at all. But if there is some sort of a skill set with one of those guys that Howard doesn't have, maybe you work on that a little bit and say there could be a situation against a certain opponent down the road where that may be helpful. But for my money, if you're just asking blank, uh, all those other things unknown, I'm going with my guy. All right. And I'm going to play him every, if it's, look, if it's 52 to three, then he's not going to play the last series. Somebody goes out for the last series, but I'm playing the kid until the five minute mark. I want, I, I need to ramp this quarterback up as much as anything else. Game shape. All right. There was no game last week. Let's play these games. They're, they're finally going to get in a role here where they're going to play game and game and game. I think playing your way into game shape matters. And I think every snap he gets, game slows down a little bit more. So without knowing all the intangibles of the other quarterbacks, I'd play Will Howard all the way to the end unless it's a complete route, and then he'd just be out for the last series. Here we go. His name's Kevin Keatsman. He changed Kansas City radio forever, and he is a legend in my book. A legend, Kevin. A legend. Oh, my. Um, And I appreciate it. We do this every week with the Powercat pregame show. Keats and I kick it around, and then we head into the second half and line up the experts. Kevin, much appreciated, uh, and we will reconvene uh, before West Virginia. That's a road trip I wish I could make. I like Morgantown, man. I like it a lot. Apparently, Les Miles does not, but it is <laughs> all, all, always uh, 
Always great to chat with you, Fitz. Thank you for the opportunity to be on, and go Cat. Like a master, he brings it back to the KU game. We will be back on the other side with our experts, Ryan Wallace, Brian Hanley, and Kelly Stewart. All stand by on the Powercat pregame show sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. The Powercat podcast will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We now send it back to the PowerCat Podcast. Welcome back to the PowerCat pregame show sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. K-State fans, visit the Robbins Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat location on Anderson Avenue in Manhattan for an exciting test drive. Robbins Motor Company, title sponsor of the Powercat pregame podcast. And now it's time for our roundtable of experts. And as we always do, we start with our own Ryan Wallace, our recruiting editor at GoPowerCat.com, and he helps out with team coverage. Wally, I am, um, let's, how do I want to put this? There's less intrigue around this game for me than I remember in a long, long time. I just think KU is coming apart at the seams right now. They're not wanting to compete this year. They're gone all young. They they want to build for the future. I like that. But if I'm Puka Williams, I'm leaving too. Don't throw away my junior and senior season and expose me with a bad offensive line. I'm out of here. This KU team has a table set for a butt whooping if it's not real careful. Yeah, I think, you know, heading into the game uh, prior to the news that that came out earlier in the week, uh, I I would have had a little bit more intrigue. Um, And and not to to say that I would be on the verge of of being fearful of K-State getting upset by the Jayhawks, but Puka Williams at least gives them that big break potential that can – you know, really either get them back into a game at the drop of a dime, you know, put them ahead, it, whatever you want to say about him. I mean, he was the Jayhawks offense. You lose Puka Williams. And even though I'm still concerned a little bit about where this K-State offense is, you just have so much more faith uh, about the way that Kansas State prepares for this game, the way that they're going to adjust during the game. And the players, obviously, that they have at hand um, that, that take this game much more seriously than KU to the point where when you when you take away Puka from that situation, I think you're right. I think that this could be go from bad to worse for KU. 
If I look at this from KU's point of view, I see three things that the Jayhawks have to do uh, to win this game Saturday. One, they have to possess the ball, score some points, eat up clock, keep their defense fresh. They've shown no signs of being able to do that this season. Two, they need to create turnovers. They need to get Will Howard and that offense for K-State to turn the ball over. They need to hit hard and force fumbles. They've really not shown an aptitude for doing that either. Uh, and plus, on top of all that, they probably need to win special teams, and winning special teams against Kansas State is not an easy proposition. Do you see a path to victory for Kansas Outside of that, I mean, I just don't see how this team was such a just an inept offense. Wally, I don't know what else to say. That strands its defense on the field. It can't win games, and they, they can't be competitive over the course of games. Even though they were somewhat competitive in the first half at West Virginia, it still turned out to be a horrible mismatch. This sounds cliche, you know, and it's something that obviously we echoed and saw firsthand um, in the first game for Kansas State against Arkansas State. But, you know, I got to talking with a, a fellow colleague of ours at 24-7 earlier this week just about where KU has gone wrong. Um, because, you know, Jerron McPherson brought up earlier in the week about how there is some individual talent on this team. And there is. I mean, if you go through the way that KU's recruited, um, they've been able to sway some kids that probably shouldn't be in Lawrence to be playing in Lawrence. But where I feel like things have taken a drastic turn to from where we saw this Kansas Jayhawk team with Mark Mangino to where it is now with Les Miles is the offensive line fits. Um, quarterback has obviously been problematic, but uh, I think at the end of the day, it goes back to all of the things that you just talked about that they have to do right. And it all starts with the offensive line. You're right. They have to keep, you know, K-State off the field. They have to uh, chew up the clock. Well, in order to do that, you have to, you know, create gaps or you have to protect the quarterback. This offensive line for KU doesn't do it. And like you said, they leave. That that means that the defense is being left on the field for far too long. They're la uh, second to last in, uh, in rush offense, so I, I don't foresee that going well. They're dead last in this league in rushing defense. Uh, their pass defense efficiency is number nine. I mean, to, to be to, to to bring it all back together, I really don't know other than the three things that you mentioned. Another way that KU gets it done, um, uh, I, I just don't see one. I, I don't. I, that's just me being blatantly honest. Well, with Puka Williams departing, and they weren't giving him the ball that much, and he wasn't very productive this year. So I don't really think it impacts this game. But with him gone, Andrew Parchment is clearly the best player on this offense. The, the receiver, he's a senior, a junior college transfer, started at Northern Illinois, ended up at Iowa Western, has been a great addition for the program. You cannot argue that Parchment hasn't had a positive impact on this KU program, and yet They've now pledged not to bring in players just like Andrew Parchment. They're not going the junior college route. They're not going the transfer route. They're going to go all high school kids. I don't get it. I mean, I don't think you can make that hard and fast rule. I think you need to bring in some guys that can help you right away. And I think that's honestly why Puka Williams left. I think some other guys might leave because you're not trying to be competitive. You're throwing away my junior, senior seasons. Parchment's the one guy that I kind of circle and think, you know, he caused trouble. they got some good receivers. They do. They don't have quarterbacks that can consistently get him the ball. But then again, K-State's secondary all of a sudden. 
Um, after a miserable start to the season, the secondary for the Cats is pretty darn good. Yeah, I, I mean, going back to, you know, is there an area that KU could exploit? I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head with the wide receiver core, and obviously that's dependent on the quarterback being able to deliver, and that's dependent on those wide receivers getting open on a K-State defense that, like you said, uh, has been pretty strong in the secondary. Justin Gardner has been terrific. Uh, Echo Boydo has really stepped up. A.J. Parker, obviously, at the nickel. You know, Jerron McPherson, you go down the line, I think even – the safety spot next to him, you're starting to see some more comfort with TJ Smith. You know, you still have Wayne Jones that could flex back there at, at any given moment. So uh, I don't think that, that there's a, a huge cause for concern, but, but parchment is very good. You know, Lawrence Arnold is a freshman that K-State offered um, out of the Dallas Metroplex, 6'3", 185. You pair him with parchment at 6'2", 180. Um, and then Takulve Williams is kind of their speedster at six foot two hundred. They've got some guys that can be disruptive, um, and even Belton Gardner, another K State offer, former K State commit, I should say, that'll get the start at running back. They use him in a number of different ways, uh, like you said, kind of flexing him out um, into the slot and, and getting him in wheel routes and that sort of thing. So I do think that maybe that would be a, an area, like you said, that you might circle. But the way that K-State defense has been playing of late, um, if anything, you would you would have to, you know, put put your faith in Joe Klanderman and that group, especially the way that they were able to frustrate TCU at times. Last year, Brent Deerman, the offensive coordinator at Kansas, entered the game basically as the head coach in waiting. Nobody's put that title on him. I, maybe I just did, but everyone was talking about him as uh, being the bright young mind they need. He hasn't been the same since K-State's defense got a hold of his offensive scheme and exposed it. Nothing seems to work for this offense at KU. We'll see if they can get anything going. It really lies at the feet of Dearman, who also coaches some very mediocre quarterbacks. But on the other side of the ball, I feel like KU's got something going on on defense that's okay. Not great. Okay. Good enough to help you win games. Not good enough to carry the day and win you the game. But I think it's a nice little challenge for Will Howard and company, particularly in the first half when the KU defense might be fresh, to see what they can do. I actually think it's a better test than most are, are you know, thinking that it will be. You know, we have a score prediction thread just about every week at GoPowerCat.com over on the message boards at Wabash Station. And a lot of the uh, score margins that are being predicted over there, I think, are probably too much in favor of K-State. Because, again... I think you're right. I think this KU defense is super young, um, but they've got some athletes on that side of the ball, you know, particularly in the secondary, they run a unique concept. It's a three, four, you know, it's nothing like we saw uh, that, that Will Howard had to face, excuse me, against TCU. Um, but it's different. You know, it's something that, you know, is, it's a concept that he'll have to kind of figure out at times on the fly, which is the way that they, are able to rotate guys in, and, and they're able to stay fresh. Now, the depth isn't always the best for the Jayhawks, but, but they have guys over there. They're just young. And, and what's interesting to me that's going to be something to watch on Saturday is when you go back and you look at the, the, this KU schedule and, and the three Big 12 games that they've played to this point at Baylor, Oklahoma State, and then at West Virginia, they're in games early on. The problem is the opponent is able to adjust at the break where KU just can't. 
they they're showing you everything that they've got in the first half. And typically it's been fairly competitive. You look at West Virginia uh, last, uh, their last game, 10 to seven KU was up on them in the first quarter by half. It was only 17 to 10 um, West Virginia. Uh, you look at the Oklahoma state game, 10 to nothing Oklahoma state at the end of the first quarter, obviously then the Cowboys got it going and it, you know, pushed it up to 31 to nothing at the half in that game. Um, but Baylor was the same way, seven to seven tie in the first quarter, only 17 to seven Baylor at the break. I go back to what I said at the beginning. I have faith in Chris Kleiman, Joe Klanderman, Courtney Messingham to make the proper adjustments. But this is the type of youthful team, this KU team that is looking for any type of momentum to cling to. You can't let them hang around if you're K-State. And I think the way that KU hangs around is by this defense kind of flustering Will Howard and an offense that, quite frankly, we've been talking about for several weeks as being very dependent on Briley Moore and Deuce Vaughn. This K-State offense has to generate something early on. Um, and if not, don't let KU hang around in the second half. You've got to come out and have a strong third quarter. Okay, let's end up with this thing. I'm asking everyone on the show this question. Will Howard, say K-State gets away, whether it's late second quarter, early third quarter, early fourth quarter, whatever it is, K-State gets away. At what point do you say, okay, Will, we're going to take you out now. There's nothing more we want you to gain from this game so that Nick Oss and Jerron Lewis can play? Or do you just let him get the reps because he's had so few? This season, I would say, well, in a typical season, I would say you, you do as you would per usual, which is, you know, I think if it gets to be a three-score game, you know, somewhere in the fourth quarter, I think it would be time for Will Howard to exit, you know, bring on a replacement. In this particular season, and the fact that you're playing a true freshman, um, I think this is a season where you leave him in, but maybe you tailor some of the plays to be more run-dependent. Um, don't put Will Howard in situations where he could get injured. Um, I, I think you've got to leave him in. I think it's good for him to see as many snaps, uh, as many reps as, as he possibly can. And so, like I said, I, I think leaving him in is the, the right move. It's the smart move so long as you're cautious um, about the plays that you're asking him to um, execute. Thank you, Ryan Wallace. Much appreciated as always. And now we bring in our football analyst, Brian Hanley, the former Kansas State offensive lineman on the 97 and 98 K-State teams. And, Brian, I bet you it's been a little bit satisfying to you to see the progress that this offensive line has been making for Kansas State, and we'll see if the off week accelerated that progress for the Wildcats. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been good to see uh, from the first week to now. Guys are playing – it seems like they're playing, Tim, a lot more confident in what they're doing. And that means the game game is slowing down for them. It's not that they didn't know what they were doing before. And and it might be some of that. But I think it's more, hey, I'm confident in what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm confident in my abilities, which means you can just go out and play and go out and hit and move people. Uh, It makes a huge difference. makes a huge difference when the game slows down for you. Yeah, and, of course, injuries and COVID absences have uh, added to the problems for this offensive line. And if we are to believe the depth chart that was released by K-State, I think they have in place the line that has proven itself to be most cohesive of any of them that they put out there all year because they will get back Cooper Beebe at right tackle and allowing them to shift Christian Duffy over to left tackle. And, of course, you have the trio of Josh Rivas, Noah Johnson, and Ben Adler on the inside. Now they need to stay healthy and settle in and learn how to play 
as a unit. I mean, the five guys have to be in sync with each other at all times to make this work. Isn't that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. The more practice time that you get, it's not just game time. It's practice time and being in meetings together and understanding where the blocks should be and where the blitz is coming from and, you know, what we're going to do if we see this look. It's it's not always just playing together. I mean, that's the least part of it, to be honest. The, the, the more important part is in the meeting room and understanding what's going on. That's where you get it. I mean, that, as an offensive lineman, that is literally where you get it. It's not just playing on the Saturday. It's in the meeting rooms, understanding where things are coming from. That's why they always say us offensive linemen are the smartest guys on the team. Yeah. So and you there's that, that too. You <laughs> that. Very interesting to me that Kansas State got the win at TCU, then goes into an off week. Uh, they get another week of practice heading into KU. This is kind of a best-case scenario right now for Will Howard. If you have to go to the true freshman, which they do with Skylar Thompson being injured, this was a pretty good setup. Get the win in his first true start and come home and have an off week before you prepare for a team that, honestly, they should handle. I'm excited to see if Will Howard looks like he's made advancements over the past two weeks. It'll be interesting to see. Um, I think he, he will. Um, because like we said before, he didn't play great. He did what we needed him to do, but at the same time, there's leaps and bounds that he can that he can take. Having a week off and just a week of practice as being the guy, an extra week of practice of being the guy, it can't hurt. It's only going to help. So I'm excited to see where he goes and what they do with him, what they allow him to do. That's the main thing. What they allow him to do. Let's see some of that. Yeah, I would guess they'll be pretty conservative with him, at least in the early going. Let him kind of settle in. Don't get him a bad taste in his mouth early in this game by making a mistake. Uh, But uh, hopefully they can kind of lean on guys like Deuce Vaughn and Briley Moore. But, Brian, they got to get their receivers going. And Malik Knowles and Sebastian Taylor are listed as the starters. They will, you know, rotate in other guys like Phillip Brooks and Landry Weber. But – it's time to probably get Malik into the game plan, get him used, get him confident, and continue to feed Sebastian Taylor. I feel like that's going to be a focus in this game is to try to get the receivers on track. Yeah, I think so, too. I think it should be. Um, and this is a game, I mean, we've got some toughies coming up, you know, coming up here. You know, and K-State, we are right in the thick of this thing. So it's there to be had. We just need more. We need more. And the receivers are going to have to be a huge part of that because as you go on down the season, teams are going to start taking away the things that we want to do. And they're going to make us do the things that we don't want to do, which means throwing the football down the field is going to need to be a strength of ours. So, and we just got to be able to take advantage of it. the wide receivers have got to get better. We It's time to, Time to put up now. It's time to start get going. Okay, I'm going to ask everyone on the podcast this question this week. If you are the coach and K-State builds a lead late first half, early second half, at what point do you say, okay, Will Howard, we're going to shut you down and let Nick Ost and Jaron Lewis maybe take some snaps here and get some experience? Or do you just persist with the, the true freshman and put him out there and let him live and learn as the quarterback. It's an interesting balance, isn't it? To protect him and get experience and also let him get out there and play. 
It is. It is. But here's the thing, though, Tim. All reps and games are not good reps. Guys are smart. I mean, not that guys before were dumb, but guys are smart. They understand, hey, we're up 31, 38 to nothing. It's the middle of the third quarter. They've shown no sign of being able to do anything or whatever. The When we're up big, guys are not going full speed. They're just not. And that's when guys get hurt. So regardless of when, you know, what happens, if we're up big, you got to get the guys out of the game and get other people in to play that maybe haven't played. This is your starting quarterback. Regardless of how many snaps that he has, this is your starter. So if we're up big and the game looks like that it's over, which, you know, we're, we're all smart enough to understand when that time is, you get him, get him out of the game. Let other guys play. You don't just put your quarterback in there to say, hey, we need to get him some reps. That's not the right thing to do. Okay. Let's flip it over to the defensive side of the ball now. And I have done an amazing 180. Very uh, athletically, I turned around here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, at the start of the season, when I looked at K-State's defense, I said, oh, boy, K-State has trouble here. And now I look at K-State's defense and say, oh, boy, K-State is causing trouble here because this defense has ramped it up dramatically from that first game against Arkansas State. They are on the attack. They are aggressive. They hit extremely hard. They, they play physical. I feel like if K-State's going to blow out Kansas, it's going to start on the defensive side of the ball with, with K-State just absolutely stifling a really miserable KU offense. But the gains they've made under Joe Klanderman over four games have been rather notable, haven't they? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's night and day difference again. But it starts up front. The defensive line is playing absolutely lights out football right now. And let's just hope it continues. Because that was the key to getting back in the game against OU. That was the key to just completely shutting down anything that Tech wanted to do the first two and a half quarters, and that was the key in just taking TCU about, out of whatever they wanted to do was the defensive line. They got after it and beat people up. And then the secondary, which we thought was going to be an issue, the secondary has stepped up. I'll, I think we all thought that linebacker was going to be the best part of the defense, but the defensive line and the secondary has carried us and has made believers out of me that these guys can play. They just needed the opportunity. Now, there's going to be challenges and things down the road, but these guys are playing really good football right now. Uh, one of the things I like about this coaching staff is nobody is safe. I mean, if you're playing Correct. poorly or if you're playing well, it's going to be reflected on the depth chart. I look at this secondary and the depth chart we're seeing now as opposed to the start of the year. Four of the five spots on the back end of this defense are different than what was forecast at the start of the year. Most notably, those corners of Justin Gardner and Echo Boydo, uh, that have they've really stepped up. Ross Elder has taken over that free safety spot. I have kind of mixed reviews on Ross, but I suspect there's stuff going on pre-snap, getting everyone lined up that is very important and why Ross Elder is out there at free safety. A.J. Parker has shifted over to Nickelback, where he's turned into a beast. He's absolutely thriving at that spot. And then there's Jerron McPherson, the only guy that was atop a depth chart at the start of the season in the secondary and remains so. Uh, McPherson at 6'1", 200 pounds, absolutely packs a wallop. And he spoke this week, Brian, about how 
he grew up in the shadow of the KU campus, and they never once paid him attention. Whether it was out of high school or out of junior college, they showed no interest in Jerron McPherson playing for the Jayhawks. He has a chip on his shoulder. Now, how you can carry a chip on your shoulder because you didn't get to play KU football is kind of a... (laughs) Kind of a stretch for me, but I have a feeling Jerron's going to have a very big game in this one because he's been really good since he got healthy. Well, I mean, it just goes to show you. Now, look, I'm not going to be – yeah, I take that back. Yes, I am. KU football is what it is. We all know it. We all know what it is. And if you're missing on guys that are growing up in your backyard, I mean, that's literally the epitome of KU is that they just – they don't know what they're doing. They just can't get out of their own way. And, again, if you can't recruit guys that are in your own backyard and are right there, then what are you going to – and apparently he wanted to go, and they wanted no part of it, which is why KU's program is the way that it is. It's just – I don't know. I don't want to be the – the, the guy that just bashes all over KU all the time. But, I mean, it's just a pathetic football program that just refuses to get out of its own way, thinking that hiring less miles is somehow going to be the, the savior of all saviors. And it, it's just a disaster. I expect the guys to play hard, blow them out, stick it to them. Um, that's what I'm looking for. I mean, I, I want them. This is a game that you get pumped up early. You beat them down early. And then you get about your business to go to the next week. Absolutely. You know, Echo Boy Doe grew up in Lawrence or, you know, went to high school in Lawrence and and chose K-State. Uh, it's one thing to get beat out on a recruit that you want from your That's backyard. Right. But not even to look at someone that could help your program <laughs> and he wants to be there is just – I can't wrap my mind around it. I really, I really can't. Uh, there have been some really bad football teams at Kansas – yeah, uh, just in the recent years. Let's keep it within, you know, since 2008, <laughs> since they had their glory yeah. here. This might be the worst team. This might, because they have gone all young. They're recruiting all freshmen. They've sent the message to their upperclassmen hey, thanks for coming to Kansas, but we don't really care. We're not going to win many games for you because we're building from the ground up and we're not going to recruit guys that can help us right now. It's put them in a spot where they actually are dipping down below in my book the standards that they had previously set. It's a shockingly bad football team right now. Yeah, it's, it's bad. It's bad. And their best player just left. So, you know, the best offensive player literally just left. So now I don't, I don't know. I, I just, KU has just been one of those programs where you thought, eh, you know what? It just take a donor to, 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 to throw some media in there. It'll take this or, It'll take a code. I don't know what it's going to take, but this is a bad football program, and they're a bad football team. And I've tried to watch them a couple times. I can't even watch. It's just terrible. It's just not good football. On either side of the ball, they have nothing physical, nothing that you can point out that, okay, they're going to do this or that. Now, here I say that, and then they're going to put up some points against us or something crazy. But I I just believe that this is a game that K-State is far and away better than KU, and we should go out there and just punish them and just let them understand it's going to be years before you're going to compete with us. Thank you, Brian Hanley. That was great stuff. And now we turn our attention to Kelly Stewart and the gambling angle of this game. And, Kelly, I look at this KU-K State game, a.k.a. the Sunflower Showdown, 
Oh, God, I hate the name. Uh, and I'm a little bit surprised in the spread is only 19 and a half or whatever it is you're seeing right now. I thought with Puka Williams leaving the KU team, it might drive up a little bit more. But is this the fact that uh, Vegas still isn't certain about the quarterback situation at K-State, why the line is in a little bit larger? So this one opened K-State minus 17 at Circa, who does literally the world openers. They are the first ones in the world to put out college football lines. And those are um, the least tight the lines will be throughout the week, right? What they like to do, they're one of the sharper shops in town. What they like to do is put out a number and let the market dictate where it needs to go. And so it immediately hit 18. I bet it right away. I said, oh, God, this is only going one way, and it's going up. And uh, sure enough, it's 20 over there right now. And it's only going to keep going higher. With the Puka Williams news, when you when you tweeted that out, I was very happy to already have that ticket in my pocket. Now, I didn't bet a ton on it because I, I was just guesstimating on which way the line was going to go. And uh, at 20, I would still bet K-State. At 21, now you've got to start looking at KU. We saw last week that late touchdown run by Williams uh, not only put the spread in play, but also put the total in play. If you have the under in that KU-West Virginia game, you are sick to your stomach with those two very late touchdowns, I'm sure. And if you had a West Virginia ticket in your pocket, you're not very happy they wouldn't have scored late when they should have ran out the clock. You're exactly right. I mean, what a – what a perfect example of why I don't like to bet on sports. You just get too many backdoor covers. That game wasn't close in the second half. That game was a blowout in Morgantown. And then Puka Williams pops up and returns a kickoff, and everything changes. I mean, the money flips over. It It would be maddening. I'd lose my mind doing that. So I try to avoid it. I also find the over-under uh, at 48.5 intriguing. Um, I'm just not used to seeing – Big 12 lines in the neighborhood of 50 points. You know what I mean? I mean, we're just well, 50 course, points used to be one team. Last, absolutely. K-State last year we know was a dead under team. We've seen um, some moments of offensive greatness from this team, but I do still think that the market has yet to catch up with the fact that K-State's defense is that good. And I think that's exactly what we're going to see here. I wouldn't be surprised to see KU score under 14 points again this week. Maybe let's call it a 35-14 type of final where it does land on the number and the game hovers right around the total. So this is a this is a, going to be an interesting dynamic here for the Wildcats. They're not used to being this big of favorites unless they're playing the Jayhawks. Last year, they were a very short favorite in Lawrence and just absolutely dominated. Why? Because, Tim, you and I know, your listeners know, that the precedence has been set since the Bill Snyder days, that if you take your foot off the gas against KU, there's going to be a lot of people mad at you. And uh, that's just what happens. You know, they they keep their foot on the gas during basketball season, It's particularly at um, – Island Fieldhouse, and we do it during football season. So if K-State doesn't cover this game, I think I'd rather – I'd say I'd be rather disappointed, to say the least. But I do anticipate a KU first half uh, where they are able to keep it tight, similar to last week, and they give it all they've got, and they bust out the trick plays, and they do all the things that KU does, and uh, K-State pulls away in the second half. I think we're going to see that. That's exactly what I think go on. Maybe the, the – Score starts to open up late in the second quarter, depending on how functioning KU's offense is and 
uh, able to stay on the field so their defense isn't getting worn out, which is what's been happening. I love this week in the Big 12, by the way. I think this is a really, really entertaining week. I look across all of the games, and I find uh, some entertainment value in each of them, even West Virginia out at Texas Tech. I mean, I West Virginia's a field goal favorite on the road, a little bit surprising on that. I I still think Texas Tech's an all right football team. They just haven't been able to win close games. I think both teams are all right football right. teams. The, the difference is, is one team is able to pull off the win and the other isn't. Uh, I lean towards Texas Tech in this one catching three at home. I would agree with you there. I probably won't get involved uh, just because that Texas Tech defense you mentioned. Why do you hate betting certain certain sports well because the back door is always open when your team name is texas tech mm-hmm. when that defense is so swiss cheese-esque it makes you nervous mm-hmm. I, I would love to take the three uh with tech here I, i'm not going to here's another one that's a surprisingly low total for texas tech at only 55 i think we're gonna see a ton of money coming in the over people are gonna blindly bet this over and i wouldn't be surprised to see this being a lower scoring game uh, with Tech trying to, well, play some defense. Well, we'll see if that's possible. Baylor ventures into uh, Austin to take on the Longhorns. Uh, the Longhorns are one and two in the Big Twelve, and they're an eight and a half point favorite over Baylor. Look, I I don't know how this game is going to go, but I, I just find these numbers intriguing. Sixty-one over under, eight and a half. I would stay away from this game, but. I also won't be surprised if Baylor wins this game because I'm not a believer in Texas. And I think although we're early in the season, Texas is already close to breaking. You know, Texas is, is troubled for sure, and they have been. And then you hear the rumors with Tom Herman being on the hot seat per usual. Look, I'll take Baylor, but I'm going to wait. I, I, I think this one just keeps getting fed up. The narrative is going to be Baylor hasn't played a game this year. Going to be, you know, Texas is going to be up for this one, unlike other games. I just don't see this Texas team really being able to cover eight and a half, nine points, nine and a half, even if it gets to ten. So I think we wait, we see how things how things play out throughout the week. But if, if we miss the good number, then it's a definite stay away spot. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Baylor win this game either. They're on my long list of games I haven't bet yet, but something to keep an eye on throughout the week. Oklahoma goes to TCU, a six-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. How do you feel about this game? I can't trust Oklahoma's offense. We've talked about Spencer Rattler seven times now this season, it seems like, and how I cannot trust him. If TCU can stop the run, they can take him out of his game plan. K-State gave you the blueprint. Iowa State gave you the blueprint. Texas came down, came back from uh, a, low, like a, a very low-scoring Red River shootout, per usual. God, that game was absolutely insane. Yep. Nobody can stop a nosebleed. Uh, all jokes aside there, TCU can stop some teams. I and I wouldn't be surprised to see him be able to keep it within a touchdown at home. I haven't gotten to the window yet here. Oklahoma off a bye, off the Red River rivalry. I, I mean, they got very lucky to cover that one. I mean, how many overtimes was it, Tim? Four? Four yeah. I mean, how insane was that game and and Oklahoma basically just gave it to Texas they just finally said you guys want it more and ended up in overtime it should have never even gotten there uh, this is an Oklahoma team I just can't trust let alone laying points on the road um I think we'll see some money coming on TCU just not 
quite yet. So I'm going to just hang tight. Again, it's on my long list with Baylor. And uh, maybe TCU can spring the upset here at home. And the big one in the Big 12, Iowa State goes to Oklahoma State. Uh, Oklahoma State's about a three-and-a-half point favorite in Stillwater. The sixth-ranked team in the country and the 17th-ranked team in the country. I love this game, and I absolutely do not have a clue how this game is going to go because I don't think Oklahoma State's really been pushed, and I think Iowa State's about to do that. I absolutely agree with you, Tim. This is interesting. Shout out to Reggie Bush, who said Oklahoma State was going to win the Big 12. Now, ranked in the top 10, they might be a little too big for their britches. This one is begging me to bet Oklahoma State. Now, this is an interesting thought. In the numbers are going to be the numbers, right? And we talk about this all the time on Wager Talk. If we all use the same stats, the bookmakers, the betters, whatever, we're all going to come up with the same games. And the lines would all end up in a push and so forth. You have to come up with narratives. You have to come up with storylines. You have to come up with situations here. And I think that's exactly what the situation is. Oklahoma State is first place in the Big 12. They're feeling themselves. Yet the line is only three, so I like to put on my what we call a Joe Public thinking hat, and I say all I have to do is basically bet Oklahoma State to win this game. I'm not sure they're going to. I do agree with you. I think Iowa State is going to push them here. I do think Iowa State has a really solid quarterback, but my problem with Purdy is that he tends to be inconsistent when faced with a good defense. You're right. I don't think Oklahoma State's defense has been pushed. I don't think Oklahoma State's offense has been pushed. And I think this is going to be a really good game to kind of indicate that. I'll take the dog in Iowa State plus three. Oh, that's very interesting. I might do the same, although I do kind of think Oklahoma State's a pretty good team. Uh, We're about to find out real quick. Kelly Stewart, thank you very much. Good stuff as always, and I hope you have a prosperous weekend of college football betting. Thank you. Now we just need to be able to carry over to Sunday in the NFL. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to go there. Thanks, Kelly. It's always great to talk to you. Well, we've heard from the experts. We started, of course, in the first half with Kevin Keatsman with a long talk about the state of KU football leading up to this game with the Wildcats. And then we hit the roundtable portion of the show, Ryan Wallace, Brian Hanley, and Kelly Stewart as we discussed this K-State KU game. It would seem that K-State will win this game comfortably. It would seem that 19.5 points as I record this is a little bit low on the spread. But we know this, Vegas is typically pretty close on these things. If that's the way it plays out, maybe K-State wins by three touchdowns, maybe only 17 points. But only one thing would shock me on this Saturday at Bill Snyder Family Stadium, and that would be a loss for Kansas State to Kansas. I think K-State continues its domination over its rival Jayhawks, and I think KU loses number 52 in a row in conference road games, a stunning number going back more than 10 years. Well, I am Tim Fitzgerald, and this has been the Fitz and Keats Power Cat pregame show, and we've been sponsored by Robbins Motor Company. And one more time, folks, because the dedicated team of automotive professionals at Robbins Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat will match you with the vehicle that suits your lifestyle and budget. Robbins Motor Company title sponsor of the Powercat pregame show. We do it every week right before K-State kicks off another game. We'll be back next week to preview Kansas State's game with West Virginia. And we drop podcasts every day of the week all football season long by subscribing to the Powercat podcast. You will get them 
right on your device. I'm Fitz, and I will talk to you after the game with my post-game sidekick, Brian Hanley. PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street Publishing.